are we right. covering today, man? Yeah, let's get into it. Episode question mark. Yep. Are we in a housing bubble? Are we in a housing bubble? Hot topic. Feels like it. The shit is bananas. B A N A N A S. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think people are, are, are naturally feeling that way because things have moved so quickly in the last, well, as far as they know, the last 18 months, those, you know, were in the business. It's been a little bit longer than 18 months. Yeah. People forget that 2019 was a very strong year, Yeah. but the media cycle was a little bit behind the times. People who weren't active in real estate didn't realize 2019 was crazy too. So yeah, 2019, 2020, and really coming to a head here in, in 2021. Yeah. 2019, I think they thought it was like a little... Just like a little short stint, like it was like, oh, this is this is gonna slow down. I remember in the office, the sentiment was like, oh, we're having a good, a good season, but like yep. it, it'll go back to normal, like whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it just kind of kept getting more, more crazy. Well, I used to count how many <clears throat> uh, multiple offers I would get into, so that I could track. All right, how much did we go over? Did I think I was going to be successful? Were we successful? And try to bring some sort of. Um, you know, collect some data yeah. on my own multiple offer situation so that I would have a higher likelihood of success in future multiple offers. And in 2019, I stopped counting at the end of March because I'd already been in 19. Yeah. Right. Which, you <laughs> yeah. know, previous to ni- 2019 was unprecedented. You know, I might be in like 10 in the course of a year. Yeah. And I mean, the last 18 months, I've probably been in less than 19 transactions that weren't multiple offers. Okay. Definitely. Right? Um, So it's really been a big shift. But just because that happens doesn't necessarily mean it's a housing bubble. There's a big difference between what's a bubble versus what is a market correction, which is a more fiscally conservative way to say bubble potentially. Potentially. But it's it's an important difference. So before we go into that, we need to talk about what is a bubble. Yeah. So what would you – I'll let you give your definition of bubble. I have the formal definition. Oh, okay. It's a quiz. There's no wrong um, answers, but there is one. The definition of a bubble is, I would say, a continued reliance on the greater fool principle, which is that something has its value only reliant on the fact that there will be a greater fool than you to whom you can sell that to at a, at a slightly higher price, um, that there's no lo- underlying intangible value um, to support that. Um, you are inherently reliant on someone else just being willing to pay more than you. So it's a hot potato, but the idea being at some point, someone's going to be left, uh, you know, holding the bag, if you will. Like the Toronto housing market. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there, there's been, I don't know, there's there's been many examples of, of it in different market sectors, but um, how does that compare with the... That is very close. Webster's it's, defines it. Well, Webster's defines it as basically, yeah, the rapid escalation of prices uh, okay. to the point where it outvalues its actual intrinsic value. Yeah. So if it, on an asset-based value, it's truly, if you boil it all down worth 100 grand, people are now trading at 150, the greater fool is going to pay 180 now, it's still only worth 100 or 110, you, mm-hmm. you're now in what's considered a bubble. Yeah, and maybe that person who bought it for 180 can find someone that can well, would pay them 185, and maybe that person who got it for 185 might be able to find some for 190. But at some point, there's going to be a threshold there where it, it hits that, and people all realize at once on mass, oh my gosh, this was only worth 110,000 to begin with, and that is the burst, if you will. Yeah, um, I think typically to get to that burst, it requires the availability of something at that lower value. Yeah, there there has to because be, if there is no option yeah. still. It's going to continue to go. But if there's someone that slides in and says, hey, I, I can get you that for 110 now, why the hell would I go pay 190? 
Yeah, and this is sort of how do you reconcile this idea of something being a quote-unquote bubble with the idea that I know you and I both subscribe to pretty strongly of supply and demand, right? Like ultimately the market decides and someone being willing to pay for something um, is, one could argue, the value of that. And just because that changes quickly um, doesn't mean something was wrong or right before. Overvalued or undervalued. Um, I mean – that is the general principle of supply and demand. Yeah. However, um, market value requires a, a few different things to be a true measure of, of market value. So, I mean, we can dive into that a bit more with a bit more scrutiny. But what are you seeing out there and what are you hearing out there from people? I think it's getting to the point now locally within Halifax. There's some sentiment that it is a bit of a bubble. And I think it's it's really come to light because this summer there's been a little bit of a slowdown. Yep. I'm not going to call it a pullback because I really don't think it's been a pullback. Nope. But there's been a bit of a slowdown. So instead of having 15 offers like we were having in the spring, you're having five to seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everyone's like, oh, like here it comes. We're, we're in a bubble. Like it's mm-hmm. it's pulling back. And some, like I'm getting a lot of people text me like, hey, I'm seeing price changes on MLS. Like what's going on? Like should I be waiting? And I'm usually saying, no, you know what? Like they overpriced their house assuming that they could catch wind of something like yeah their neighbor listed for 300 sold for 400 so now they think i'm gonna list for 400 and then still they want 100 grand over they're double counting a lot of sellers are double counting they're saying okay cool that you know the house is worth the house was on for 300 it sold for 400 and so great i want a four hundred thousand dollar ask price but also I see houses are selling for hundred grand over. So why can't I get five? It's like no, no, you cannot have both. You can have one or the other. Yeah. Um, so there's an element of that where sellers are now getting. I don't want to say the word greedy, right? But that's what buyers say. Oh, they're getting greedy. But no, they're they're trying to navigate this market that changed very quickly, uh, and they're trying to capitalize on it because Maximize that's what, what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, but some of them are in moments choosing the wrong approach. Yep. And then what happens is the market starts to slow a little bit and they're like, okay, well, maybe I was going to take the 300,000 you know, list low uh, and hope to sell for four approach. Yep. But now people keep telling me the market's slowing. So maybe I need to list at you know, 290 to cover my bets a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And then people see it at 290 and the buyers go, oh, well, gosh, like they probably want like 50 grand over because everyone's getting 50 grand over and I don't want to pay 340 for this. So then the home yeah. sits, yeah. right? Like so- this is the cat and mouse game um, that that is is at work right now, and that always kind of goes on. It's just the the pendulum shifts a little bit from side to side, and you get a couple situations like, you know, we came out of the pandemic, and everyone's like, "This is amazing, we're out of jail. Like, let's go to the beach, That's let's go same. to weddings, let's sit on a patio." Then you have Canada Day long weekend. Now we had you know this long weekend now. You can fly, you're allowed, especially yeah. again, hyper-locally, we can actually do things now. Yep. So it really emphasized things because in the last two weeks, I think airline bookings and airline, like flights into the airport have gone up like 5,000%. It was absurd. It was like the highest growth rate of anything that they've had in the airport, obviously because it was at zero. So if you go from one flight to 10, you get it tenfold. Yeah. But it's, they're seeing that where people are like, you know what, I've been dealing with this housing crap for the last 12 months and I've been staring at this and it's been all I've been thinking about because I'm sitting at home and whatever. Yeah. Now I just want to get away and enjoy myself. And so I think, I think you've been seeing, I was thinking about this, uh, agents and brokers. Every every email I send, every time we get an accepted offer, I send, I'm sending it off to a, either a yeah. lawyer or a broker and it's like, yeah. I'm on vacation for a week and totally. I'm like, yep. if half the agents are gone, they're not pushing stuff to their clients because as much as clients make the decisions, 
agents make have a big input on what they what they look at. Yeah. Uh, and so if they're not here pushing the deals, like it just slows the whole thing down temporarily. And I think that's what we're feeling again on a, on a short term basis. Overall, overall, if we're in a bubble, I'm not answering that, but I'm we're saying just in this little hyper local of also, short time it, frame. It, you know, if like for context. You know, it's like, oh, okay, so the current situation is instead of seven offers, there's only three. Um, and instead of selling in three days, it sells in a week. You know, <laughs> is someone going to try to tell me that's what a buyer's market now? Is that what we're calling a buyer's market? I don't think so. Um, so it's still an incredibly, incredibly strong market. You know, th- so the question more so also with a bubble is it inherently implies that it is going to go up. And then it is going to rapidly and significantly pull Retreat. back. So we're not talking like... The situation when right now it's like, oh, there's less offers on the property. Like, that's not that's not a, a, a burst. That's not a, a pullback. That yeah. is still a very, very, very strong seller's market. Still um, inflating, just slightly slower. Yeah, yeah. Or perhaps leveling off, which if you asked anyone in the industry, that was kind of the general prediction. At some point, this is going to have to level off because there are things like the law of substitution and how that affects values of properties. Like, once you can substitute other things for that property, as you kind of alluded to, it will stop going up in price. Yep. Like for the longest time, the you know uh, the the cap of what downtown Dartmouth could sell for was whatever North End Halifax was selling for. Yep. Because North, uh, you know downtown Dartmouth would go up and up and up, and then at a certain point, if it was trading at the same value as North End Halifax, well now you have the substitution effect, which means people would substitute homes in North End. Halifax instead of the homes in, in Dartmouth, right? So these things all come into play. And for us here, the substitution effect for, you know, Halifax starts to become like, okay, do I look at St. John's or, you know, yep. do I look at somewhere in New Brunswick or, you know, does it make more sense for me to just stay in, in Ottawa? Like if, you know, so, yeah. th- but the thing is we had a long gap to get there, mm-hmm. right? So- Everyone was asking about this early on. I'm like, this is not a boom. This is not a bubble. This is a market correction. We were without Way doubt, undervalued. We were way undervalued. Yep. We were way undervalued. And now, like we are undervalued relative to other major markets, but we are also undervalued for what we are offering and the cost of construction and the cost of land. Like we were uh, undervalued. I used to always joke, it's, you could sell your house for parts for more. Oh my God. <laughs> like that was yeah. selling for 200 grand. I'm like, you could literally just deconstruct this home and sell all the bits and you probably get over 200 grand. Totally. Like, <laughs> uh, I was, I remember showing a place down in Bridgetown, which is like, you know, one of these small rural Nova Scotian towns where yeah. there's not much going on. And I was in a beautiful turn of the center home. I'm like, man, this staircase is worth $20,000 and the home is 160 grand. <laughs> it's like, so between the staircase, these stained glass windows, the lumber, like, man, could I get this back to the city? Right. Um, <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Overpasses are way too low. Um, but I always know, think about that old buying a house in like Yarmouth. There was that uh, giant, you said castle in Yarmouth for 2 million? <laughs> no. But it's like a 17,000 square foot stone castle with a massive thing. Maybe it was a million. Or was it 2 million? I don't know. Anyways, I'm like, that would cost like $5 million to build. I'm like, can we just, yeah, can we truck yeah. this back to a parcel of land in Hammond's Plains? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, so you get all these nuances of, of like to understand if something is a bubble or not, you need to understand how to value it. Yeah. Right. Um, so how do you have that conversation with people when they're asking about, well, what is this worth? Like, how do you answer that question right now? My go-to and my fail safe. And I think I like to try and keep it, keep it simple, stupid, like my motto with life. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe cause I'm a little slow, but this is 
how I see it. I'm like, if you can't replace this for what you're paying, then the value is there. And, and it's, yep. it's a simple, I know there's a ton of other answers, but like, again, I like to keep it super simple. So I'm like, look at your home here. Okay, it's 1,200 square feet. Yes, it needs some renovation. So if you spend whatever, 50K to turn this into basically a brand new home at this point, it, its effective age now becomes effectively zero. Mm-hmm. And you look at a brand new one in the same square footage with a similar size lot and all those kind of things in an established neighborhood, what's going to cost you? Yeah. And I'm really glad to hear you say that because so much, and, and I imagine people listening to this, they'll understand um, the direct comparison approach, yeah. right? Uh, so if we're talking about value and how people value properties, if, if you ever looked at an appraisal uh, or if you just kind of considered the idea, you know, you've got apples, you've got oranges, and the direct comparison approach is how do these relate to one another? There's pluses here, there's minuses here, yeah. and you put um, values on these things like a fourth bedroom, an extra bathroom, you know, and and that is how you estimate value. It's the same way people look really simply as my neighbor's house, uh, my neighbor's house sold for this. I've got a nicer home. My home's worth more. Yeah. Right? That's a direct comparison approach. Then you've got the income approach, which again, people who are listening to this and have interest in, in rental properties would have a, a, at least a lay understanding of. Yeah. Um, how much does the property make? What is my you know, um, return on investment? What is the capitalization for the area typically? And then reverse math, what is that worth based on the income of the property? But then you have replacement cost. And this is one that a lot of people don't talk about um, because maybe it's not as fun or or as, as interesting, uh, but it's also maybe not something people have their, their finger on the pulse a lot. But replacement cost is how much would it be to recreate that, right? And and this is the one where we were really undervalued in a lot of areas for a long, long time, right? Like, you know, when you could buy a bungalow in Sackville or Cole Harbor for 200 grand, and it's like a 2,000 square foot fully finished bungalow on a yeah. 9,000 square foot lot yeah. that with municipal services, it's like, like there's no way you could build that, even when the prices were 150 per square foot, which they're a lot more now. Yeah. But like, if the dirt was 50 grand, which is super cheap, but say the dirt was 50 grand, say you could get it through the city for 20 grand for your services, your permits, your architecture, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You're 70 grand for the land, and we're not even talking about HST. Yeah. And then you have to build a 2,000 square foot home at $150 a square foot. Well, that's $300,000 plus. So that's a $370,000 home. Well, $400,000 house. You know, for 250. For for 200 250. Yeah. So. I can't be made to understand how that could be a bubble. That, right? right? 100%. Yeah. So I, that's replacement cost. It's an important thing to think about. To give you a little story on that, it was funny because so, again, came from Ontario where replacement costs on, on average were actually lower than the home prices uh, yeah. because a lot of the home values are pushed through the moon. Mm-hmm. So that's how it was for our family home that I grew up in. Then we got here and my parents bought homes here and th- my dad was just like, this is insane. My house is insured for I paid three hundred. Yeah, but I had to insure my house for five hundred. That's an interesting one. People. He had that moment. He yeah, was like, yeah. he's like, what the hell? And I was like, yeah, because the real estate here is so cheap. It's actually cheaper than it would cost to actually build and create what you're yeah. living in. Yeah. Like this is why the home when the home burns down, people try to take the money yeah. in a lot of cases. <laughs> They're like, no, no, don't rebuild it. I'll just take the cash. Yeah, I'll sit on the land and take the cash. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's an important part of it is, you know, when, when people are looking at a home, like, oh, that seems a lot for that home. It's like, well, how much would it cost to build that? And in this market right now, we have to realize that some of these things aren't just based on buyer frenzy, supply and demand. It's based on the building materials because one of the substitution elements that we talk about, like, well, why would you have this if this was available? Well, a lot of people said, well, why would I take an old home in, in an older subdivision if I can build a nice brand new home? Maybe it's a little further out. 
but it's brand new construction. And that used to be a very real thing. You know, part of the reason those homes might have only cost 250 was because you could build a brand new home for 300000 And most people would substitute the new home for the old home. But then with building prices where they went, you know, that was no longer the case. Oh, gone. Right? So, um, you know, these are the underlying factors, you know, the because we were inherently... Um, undervalued to begin with, and there was needing to be or, or inevitably going to be a market correction. That was a big part of it. Then if you look at the replacement cost and the cost of construction, that's part of it as well. So I think those two, which are the main pillars of this price increase, those are valid in my opinion. I agree. What do you, what do you think though is, so I guess with that being said, those things make sense, um, but what's driving, what's driving I'm going to use the term the bubble. I'm going to start using that. So what do you think is driving the bubble? Because a lot of people, especially when it started, like 2019, 2020, I got the constant thing of like, but there's no work. There's no jobs. Like everyone was saying that. And that's what I said. I was like, that's horseshit. I'm looking for people and I can't get them. Yeah. Right. That that was horseshit. But what would you say? Like, okay, like what's your top, what would you say your top driving factor is on us now making this correction? Like it, it needed to be done. But it obviously wasn't happening before because, look, the, the prices were low, placement values were high, and that was for years. Like, that wasn't like that was like a two-year thing. That was like 10 years, 15 years of it being like that. Um, and then now we're seeing this now. Like you said, 2018 started to, like, warm up. 2019 started going. 2020, it was gong show. 2021's maintained that gong show status. What, what's, what's the difference maker now that wasn't happening 10 years you, ago? You, you can't credit it to, to one thing. But I'll give you a list of things. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So first, let's start with the fact that our supply here was decreasing. Okay. That is that is going to be the start of, of anything is what is, you know, what, what our supply and demand doing. Yeah. So supply was shrinking. And if you look back to 2018 and 2019, you notice this little trend like, okay, you know, there was at any given time, say in June, there was uh, 3,500 homes available. Yeah. And then the next year there was only 3000 homes available. And the next year there was 2500 homes available. Yeah. We're talking pretty significant decreases in the supply. Yeah. So if you're looking at your graph, you have a shift in supply. The line, you know, contracts. Yeah. Then we had a government that was very pro immigration. So yeah. the city was growing through um, international migration a pretty significant amount. I think it was as high as 20,000 people, but our net migration was about 12,000. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden, you have less homes and more people coming here. Yeah. So that is an increase in demand. So there's your first factor. Like if nothing else had happened in the, in the world, those things alone meant prices were going to increase. Then you have a demographic situation where we have an aging population here. Disproportionate to the rest of the country, our population is a little bit older. And <laughs> my parents are amongst those people who... You know, they're kind of around the baby boomer age, not quite, but they're in around that bracket where people here a few years ago had a decision, are you going to downsize? All right. And some of them made that decision based on the cohort going through around 2015, 2016. So there was a, you know, a little push of supply at that point while these, you know, gray hairs were downsizing, going to apartments, going to condos. But the people like my parents who said, that's not for me, they're now in that house for a long time. I'm going to pause really quick. They're not called gray hairs. They're called boomers. <laughs> Boomer. Um, <laughs> you know, but like they made, and they, they were baby boomers. Um, what a terrible term. <laughs> um, you know, so all of a sudden, um, these 
folks, um, whatever you want to call them, they've decided to not <laughs> sell their home. So now you have a further contraction in the supply of houses. Now let's throw in a few things. Their children, the children of baby boomers, which would be kind of people around my age in our 30s, a lot of them from Nova Scotia, they got out of university and they were told the age old story that you can't make any money in Nova Scotia and there's no jobs here. And they went to boom towns, yep. you know, Alberta, Alberta Ontario. you know, um, and so they went there in their 20s. They rode that wave. They got married. They had kids. And they're now at a point where in their 30s, they're secure in their jobs. Right? They've got disposable income because they sold their property at a profit, and they want to be around their grandparents who are still living back here. So now you've got all those people coming back. Yep. So in addition to international migration, you've got net positive provincial migration for the first time in a very long time. We were net losing our young people, and now we're net bringing in people, people both time. back and new. So again, more demand, more demand, more demand, at the same time that supply is shrinking. Then you throw in low interest rates, you throw in a pandemic, and you have a perfect storm. <laughs> perfect soup. That, that took something that might have otherwise happened over five years and jammed it into 18 months. And then you see a 35% price increase. Yeah, is that what it is? 35? It's around there. I think it's 33.7 or something. Everyone's got a slightly different stat depending on what month and day you started on. Yeah. And then, you know, there's also now someone who bought their home five years ago that was going to be a four and a half year home and they were going to sell. They've realized, well, I can't afford my own neighborhood, let alone <laughs> like the neighborhood I want to be in. So I'm staying put. And what yeah. does that mean when they stay put? Supply contracts even further. So this is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a snowball that rolls in this one direction. And, you know, again, it's, it's a perfect storm. And I think these prices were going to happen. Uh, we're just a little bit early on them, maybe in some areas, which is why we're probably going to level off here soon. But yeah. we're not going to pull back the way people, some people think they're going to pull back. It's not sustainable to maintain 33% a year or even 20% a year. That doesn't make any sense because in a no. few years, it's going to be like, okay, everything's $5 million. Yeah. So. And then I'll just live in Toronto or <laughs> Ottawa or, or Vancouver or whatever. Right? Exactly. And those cities back. didn't get to where they are now over a two, three year period. Like TO has been facing this for like, 10, 20 years. Like 20 years ago, TO was having mad growth and they've just had growth the whole way through. Well, that's the thing. So people who are like, well, what's going on with those people in Toronto waiting for that bubble to burst? How's that working out for them? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, and I, I think it just, like you said, it's a correction that needed to get there. It's funny. I had a bunch of points laid out and you pretty much hit them on the head. It, it, it's everything that I was going to say. The immigration, the immigration is insane. And to, this is kind of my reassurance to people is that not only did we have all this immigration that caused it, it's now, again, to kind of say we're not in a bubble, they're increasing those targets. Yeah. And like, and like we were down this year for obvious reasons. Yeah. They're probably going to be up next year. They, that's right? their thing. They're saying, oh, look, we had a down year this year due to COVID. We were unable to maintain the numbers we wanted. So to compensate for that, we're now going to double up and add twice as many immigrants, which is great. But yeah. to be the, the, on the flip side, probably a topic for another time, there's no... 
there's no new construction. There's no. Well, this is the other thing. If if you want to add another thing to this perfect storm, was that yeah. man? There's only so quick they can build these houses, and when the city kind of has been a little slow moving on some of these developments, I mean, you had some crazy stat about the housing stock. Oh, that was for rental. Yeah. Like how much housing stock we would need? It'd be something like thirty thousand units over a certain amount of period yeah. just to slow things down. It's not that dissimilar. Like if you cannot go and buy these new homes that are new construction then you're going to have to compete with other people for existing stock, Yeah. right? Demand is outpacing supply. Like you come back to those fundamental ideas, right? Which is why I know we both kind of subscribe to that supply and demand. But are there situations, you know, full transparency that you're like, oh my gosh, there's supply and demand, there's market value, there's what something is, you know, something is worth what someone is willing to pay. But then there are extremes in that. Yeah, and I, 100%. And I think uh, kind of what you were saying before we even we turned the mics on, uh, there's kind of like situations and scenarios that are just getting caught up in the hype, like yep. big time. And I think there's one, uh, <laughs> hopefully they, this person never ever hears this, but there's a townhouse <laughs> in Bedford. <laughs> oh, God. And Carl? Carl's townhouse? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this is the address. No. Uh, about... Three years old, maybe two years old. I know the unit. Yeah, yeah, they're building them yeah. for four hundred and sixty grand a pop, and then it went back onto market at maybe five something, and it's firmed up. I think it's seven or it's eight, mm-hmm. seven fifty. What mm-hmm. was it? Seven ninety five. It, it was. I think it was mid seven somewhere. Somewhere, somewhere in the mid sevens. Yeah. And yeah. this person had just bought it like a year or two ago for four fifty, four sixty. Yeah. Um. So then, at the same time, across the street, a fully detached home, bigger, detached, mm-hmm. brand new. Sold for less than that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, on that same loop of townhomes, a bunch more popped up for sale because people were like, hells yeah. If I yeah. can if I can get seven something for my yeah. place, I'm flipping it up. Every single one they got listed, never sold. They, they not, not a single one sold. They, they couldn't get anything close to what they what they thought it was going to be worth. And so I think that person again got, got caught up in the hype of just like, it was right in the peak of like our, I'd say, our craziest moment in the spring. And they were just like, yep, screw it, 200 over ask. But it didn't even make sense because you could buy bigger homes, nicer homes mm-hmm. on the within a street. Yeah, for less so money. that like what we're talking about there is something called an outlier, right? Yeah. And the whole idea of market value is that okay, this is the consensus across a large sample yeah. of what the value is. And within that, you'll have people who get deals and people who overpay. That's always been the case, but it's really in your face right now and it's more extreme. The outliers are further away from, you know, the mean. Um, And that's an exact case. It's also a really good case of, you know, poor research and not understanding substitution because you could build that unit, like we talked about, for much less. Even when today's cost of building, like you know, whatever the land value would be for a semi-lot in that area. I mean, it'd be expensive, but it probably would yeah. be like 100 grand or something like that. 125, yeah. Um, and then at even $200 a square foot, 25 450 to build. You know, like yeah. on a good day, it would be like six, right? Yeah. Like, so, you know, they flat out overpaid. Yeah. And that's been going on for centuries, um, but you just kind of see it more right now. Um, but it can be explained away. The challenge we have... Um, is I'm going to get to this in a second. I'm going to hold off on this. I'm going to hold off on this for a second. But um, that is not an an estimate of market value. So someone can't tell me like, well, the market is is overpriced because one person did something silly, right? That's an outlier. That is not market value. The market value is meant to be a summary of value based on people acting rationally. Yeah. And this also is a little bit of a challenge. That was an irrational one. I think, and then on, on the opposite end of that, 
is where you're seeing some of these price reductions or houses sitting on market. I think it's a, a product of how we shop now. Like everyone shops purely on the websites mm -hmm. and they're only looking at what just came up that day. Mm -hmm. Because we've yep. gotten so accustomed to like, we have to see what's new and I'm checking it so frequently. I already know what's out there. And so whatever's new, I'm going to look for it. So if it's new, it's all eyes on it. Yep. The second it goes past a week, nobody's watching it. Even if yeah. it's a good deal, there's houses that are sitting on the market. Oh, 100%. I just, I just had, I was out for dinner with a, a friend of mine last night. He just bought a townhouse, beautiful, full size, three story, 2,500 square feet, 265 in a good neighborhood. Yeah. And he said it was sitting on market and nobody, it, the first offer fell and they're like, I was at like three something. And he said, I just threw in a low ball and, and they just said, yes. Yeah. And this is kind of like we said, it's, it's the sellers right now trying to navigate this tricky situation of, oh my gosh, you know, do I take the approach that's been in vogue lately of pricing it low and, and relying on the market to run me up? Or if I'm starting to get apprehension about that, I've got to raise my price up. And probably where those people had the price listed for initially was correct, but all the buyers were like, Man, and they want 50 grand on top of this. And the seller's like, no, I don't. Like, I just want that price. Yeah. Right? Like, so it is tricky right now as a seller to decide, like, what approach to take because, man, it's it's touch and go. It's it's street by street. It's week by week. Yeah. You know, I was looking at the activity and, you know, we had, there was one week there mid-July or mid-July where we had about a 20% drop off in oh, the yeah. number of showings yeah. the same week that we were up about 20% in listings. Yeah. So it's a major swing because everyone went to the cottage and there was no other explanation for it other than everyone went to the cottage. Things opened up. Um, and the next week we were back, yeah. you know, the, the, the viewings were, were back up. So it's certainly something that needs to be navigated um, really carefully. I'm going to go in now to what I was <laughs> alluding to there I a second I couldn't ago. even think. I'm just waiting for this now. You're on the edge of your seats yeah. to be continued. Yeah. Um, because I, I wanted to tread carefully with this. We have a little bit of a problem in our industry with the fact that only the winning bid gets recorded, right? Mm. If we talk about market value, market value is supposed to be a consensus based on, you know, an average across a decently large sample. Yeah. So when you have seven offers on a property, right? One person wins it with the highest offer. Nine, 19 times out of 20, it's the one that has the highest offer. Yeah. So that means everyone else agreed it was worth a little bit less than that. Yeah. Right? Um, so unfortunately, that's the only one that gets published. So mm -hmm. that becomes the, the recorded price. value for that home. And I know that you and I have been in situations where as the listing agent, we might see a place that was on for 300 and it's like, okay, there's one offer for 305 and it's adorable and you just kind of throw it in the trash. <laughs> and then there's like an offer for 326, 327, 331, 332. And then someone that goes 361, right? Every single time. And they win. That number gets recorded. So what does everyone now think that that home is worth? Yeah. 361. But the consensus right? So 330. Would be around the 330s. And and depending on how you got there, if you just did an average, it would be around there. If you got rid of the extremes, you got rid of the 300, you got rid of the 361, and the, you know what's the median in there? Like, That's probably a truer reflection of market value. And in, in most cases, like the range isn't extreme, but in some cases it is. That home you alluded to, they would have won that probably by $100,000. Yeah, likely. Like... 
a lot, right? And I've been in situations where we were the, the successful backup offer, which means like we know we came in second. So there's only two people who have real knowledge of where the offers yeah. went. And that's the person who won because they know like they're the, you know, but the person who comes second has a lot of information. Yeah. Right. So I've been in situations where we came second and then the published one was 40 grand higher. Yeah. So it's like, man, we beat three, four, five, and six, but this other person was on another planet. Right. So that is a challenge we have. And they're looking in Ontario. I don't know if you heard about this. No. They're looking at having transparent bidding. A lot of people ask about that. Yeah. I, I can understand as buyer, like, why don't they just tell me? Why don't they tell uh, me what the other bid is? And it's a tricky question to answer. It's like, but we can't, um, we have a, a professional obligation to not disadvantage one party over another and to not disclose anything that's private information to the sellers. The sellers own those offers and we can't give one buyer an advantage over another. But um, it's going to start going that way way, like in, in some sense, you know, so we've got people now who are taking the top three offers and saying, hey, you're top three, do you want to re-offer? Um, like that's starting to happen a bit more than it used to and, and things like that. I think some of these new online brokerages, I think that's like their objective as well. I don't know if they're going to catch on, but there's a lot of these new like... Make a bid. We'll call them totally, fin- yeah. fintech companies yeah. that are going after the whole brokerage and selling real estate market. And that's kind of their platform is being able to kind of op- offer that open bid style concept. Yeah. It's, it's like getting, eBay, It's right? like getting like, sellers to buy in yeah. on that, though. If yeah. I'm a seller, I don't think I want that. Why would you? As the proof a- is in the, like, look at what we just talked about. Every single listing I do, that's why I tell all, all my sellers, I say, look, we're going to have a couple that are a waste of our time that are going to be yet asking. No point. Most of them are going to sit here, and then if we get 20 offers, there's going to be two or three that are going to be up here, like yep. full psycho. If we get five to seven, we're going to have one. Full psycho. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have one that's up here. But yep. that's. But and that's that's literally every single one that I've done. It's been that every every mm-hmm. single time. It's like without a fail, you have your three groups, and that like you said, that, I think that middle is really where it actually lies and where it's where it's worth. It's it becomes that extra value of what it's worth to that person uh, that that pushes it over the edge. And once that gets published, everyone's like, oh yeah. Every seller on the street now says, well, that's what my home is worth, and yeah. you know, and even the buyers out there they're like, well, gosh, I guess I was wrong. I thought it was worth this. It turns out it's worth that. Um, and that's why good representation, like, no, you know, stay the course. Yeah. That might, that was possibly an overpay. Yeah. Right. Um, now a lot of buyers got bailed out as the market continued to go higher. Right. Because yeah. what we're talking about here, if we're being honest here, is we're saying, okay, well, if market value is about here and someone's paying here, that sounds a little bit like a bubble nail. Right. So the question is though, you know, when you can start throwing away these extremes a little bit, um, you know, people are going to do things like that. It's not dissimilar to when, you know, people who bought in 2012 when the ships were coming in and blah, 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 and like everyone thought there was going to make money. I, I had clients who then a few years later, you know, 36 months, they were kind of worth about the same. Yeah. You know, or maybe they're worth a little bit more, but when they broke their mortgage and all that, they were kind of flat. Like that's a real thing. And, and you know, yeah. I think there are going to be isolated instances where people are going to be, you know, flat on the appreciation of their home. Uh, or if they have to turn, like if that person had to turn and burn that unit in 12 months, they're going to be in a world of trouble. Yeah. Um, but I don't think the exception makes the rule. Like the exception doesn't make the rule. Um, the underlying value is there if you're operating rationally. And yeah. people might argue that there's irrational behavior out there. I would say, yes, there are in, in situations, but the majority are still paying, I think, fair value for the homes. I got two things for you. 
Do you think the banks protect uh, the bubble aspect, or do you think they're just part of it like anyone else? Wait, pr- protect in what sense? Oh, well, they get their appraisals. Um, the idea, like they always say in Ontario, like rarely ever does anyone get to full loan to value mm-hmm. because the values are so crazy and insane. The bank's like, no chance I'm willing to put out 85% or 80% on that. They're only mm-hmm. getting 65 75 like they're going on lower loan to values. Mm-hmm. Here, the bank, for the most part, I very infrequently have I had the issue of it not meeting the appraised value. It mm-hmm. happened a few times this year, but not, not like consistently. Do you think the bank is a good, um, I don't want to say fail safe or, or a protector of it, but do you think that they're like, if it was getting out of hand, do you think the bank would start to be like, no, 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 like we're, we're going to. Well, the banks don't do it, but Bank of gonna, Canada does it, right? With your bond, back. Yeah, with your bond rates and your overnight rates and all that stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, like the, the, the banks on a, on a individual level don't do it, but the Bank of Canada does it. And for years, they would um, pass all of these policy changes to slow down the Toronto market. Mm-hmm. And out here in Nova Scotia, we were like, "Why the heck are they doing this? Like, this doesn't. We're not. We're not exploding, right? This yeah. is why amortizations got hacked down from forty years. Um, this is why they got rid of zero down. Um, also, you know, the bond rates affect you know uh, the bank borrowing rates, which in turn affect the, the street rates that you get for your mortgages. Yeah. So, um, this is the other thing. You know, one of the factors, uh, you know, kind of driving this acceleration here um, is the low interest rate. And if this was any other situation, interest rates would be up, yeah. right? Like, how do you curb, um, you know, this sort of situation? It's by raising interest rates. Yeah. Um, and typically, when you print a bunch of money, like the federal government just did, you have inflation. If you have inflation, interest rates go up. But right now, because a lot of people out there took on bad debt, and I'm not talking about paying too much for the home. Here's the thing, and we can talk about this in, in a second. If there's one thing to overpay on, at least it's the thing that's the roof over your head, <laughs> right? And yeah. it's something you can pay off at low rates and, and it provides something. And it doesn't typically, on a long enough timeline, go down in value. Exactly. Bad debts, unsecured debts, line of credits, cars. you know, visa, cars, you know, like we just printed a lot of money as a country. And I'm not saying I don't think it was the right thing to do. I I think it was the right thing to do. Time will tell. Um, But, you know, there is a lot of inflationary pressure out there in the market, which at some point is going to have to come home to roost in the form of higher bank rates. Um, So there is going to be an increase in in mortgage interest rates that already would have been here and already might have slowed this down, except the government was unwilling to raise interest rates during a pandemic because people had taken all this bad debt. They had lost their jobs. Their businesses were struggling. (laughs) Um, You know, they're not going to let the banks raise the rates. But once COVID's in our rearview mirror, those rates are going up. Yeah. Right. There's no question about it. So, um, so what roles do the bank have it? I mean, they've got to be, have some role in it. Yeah. I just say more so like... Would they finance the mess? And I mean, I think at the end of the day, they will. They're a business too. I think there's a false sense of security with the banks that they're like out there to do good. And at the end of the day, they're just another business like everyone else trying to make money. Um, So yeah, I think your answer was right to it. But I was just curious to see what your thought was on do the banks... Well, or if we're relying on like the federal government and the banks to like protect us from ourselves, um, you know, a lot of people are not going to like that idea um, just philosophically. But I do think that, yeah, like, no, but I, I think federal fiscal policy is incredibly important. Um, and, you know, that that's mainly the Bank of Canada rates. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's going to sound cliche, but 
you need sound advice, right? Like you need sound advice from people in the market say, okay, understand the pros and cons of buying in this in this current environment. Like what are you telling people out there on, on the buying side? And that's, I was going to say, so for me, like I said, I kind of go back to all the topics that we've gone over now and kind of weighing out like, look, at the end of the day, yes, it does, like things have gone up a lot. And yes, you're going to pay more than the guy did, your friend did six or eight months ago. Uh, but again, you still can't replace what you're getting for, for what it's worth now. And in a long-term play, you're in good shape. Now, if I have a guy coming to me saying, hey, I want to flip this house, yeah, I'm not just going, yeah, here, let's just buy this one and let's do it. Because before, you pretty much could. In Halifax, you could pretty oh. much pick any house you wanted. If you made it nice enough uh, and you could try and make a, a go of it. But there was always an opportunity for a flip out there, I felt like, in oh, man, but, but that's even only in the last few years, yeah. right? Because our, our market used to be a little bit more condensed where it's like, you know, 200 got you a beater and 300 got you a really nice home and anyone yeah. who knows the cost of construction and capital gains and, and closing costs that didn't make sense but now th- the market's opened up to the point it's like okay you can go 350 to 650 and that's yeah. a lot of play in there t- to do something like that but that's yeah. a relatively new new thing in the last four or five years but true enough true enough um but yeah so for those investor clients a lot of times we're, uh, they've been shelved and they've been shelved for a while or it's very it's it's a lot less that we're looking at and when we find something good it's going to act quick uh for a regular bar that's looking to live there my guidance at the end of the day is, you know what, now is still the time. At the end of the day, it's going to continue to grow. We have all these other things that are still pointing upwards. Yes, I understand that rates are going to come up uh, in the coming years. I don't think it's going to be a hike of, okay, 2% to 17%. It's going to be a gradual increase that we kind of all are expecting. Um, mm-hmm. They, I don't think the government of Canada is going to be willing to allow it to go up fast enough that's going to put everybody underwater. No, no. I mean, our, our rates are still going to be low based on historical perspective. Like, we're not going to hit double-digit interest rates, or, or we're not even going to hit a 6 or a 7. I'm just saying we're going to be back up around 4 sometime in the next 24 months, right? Which was uh, great. Oh, was four great. years ago? Four oh. years ago, people were like, oh, I signed at 3.6, and you're like, oh, Man, let's I, go. I remember when I locked in my first, like, 3.99 deal. I'm like, lock it in, five-year fixed. It's never going lower. <laughs> um, you know? So... Yeah. I I, I mean, the other thing too is, you know, I always ask people like, well, is your home somewhere that you want to live or somewhere that you want to make money off of? Yeah. Because not everyone's answer is I want to make money off it. Yeah. Right. Some people it is though. And you have to treat everyone for what their specific need is. Like I have a lot of clients who buy one home and they're in that home. They're going to be in that home for 30 years. Yeah. And you look at that as like, okay, it's a blue chip stock. Yeah. Right. You don't buy and, you know, you don't trade a blue chip stock every two years. You let it ride. Yeah. Right. Uh, and real estate is that. Um, but if someone's goals are shorter term than that, um, then yeah, it, it's it's important to have these conversations. It's the same reason when I you know have a client who buys something and pays a premium for something that is really nice and polished and finished. Yeah. Right. Like if it's if it's you know the nicest home on the street, it's like well, just understand that you're paying a premium for this, and there's very little value that you can add. Yeah. Right. As the new owner, there's very little value that you can add, so you need to be Oh, fully aware that all this home is going to do is get older. Yeah. Right? Um, so that means, you know, it's the same deal with like new construction. As new construction, you're, you're reliant on the next phase costing more because you're not going to make your home any nicer. Yeah. And it's only going to get worse the more you live in it. Right? So you, you have to have these conversations with people. And the, the trickier thing I find right now is people paying um, big, big money for, for um, standardized product in outside areas because again it all comes down to substitution like a turn of the century victorian home in the south end of halifax there's only so many of them 
right? You cannot just substitute that for something in the area over here. Yeah. However, if you get into standardized product, like this home looks like that home looks like this home, you know, and you maybe go into an area that is more closely related to possible future development, you could find someone who's like, well, I'll just not get that one. I'll get this one, right? Goes back to what I was talking about earlier, how, you know, it used to be a situation, well, I won't buy the used home for 250 if I can get the new home for 300 Yeah. So there are going to be a couple of people who might've paid elaborate prices for standardized product in areas that aren't inherently, you know, um, uh, appreciating. Well, not inherently, but like not susceptible to, to competition, right? Like not as susceptible to substitution, Yeah. right? Like, you know, there, there might be some people who do have a challenge with that, but if they say, yeah, but this is just where I live, right? Like I just want this to be my home for the next 20 years. That's true. Right. Um, we can't entirely put our value system on other people. Like people listen to this and want to make money off of real estate. Yeah. That's not what everyone wants to do. But if you're someone who wants to make money off this real estate, how do you buy in this sort of time? Yeah. I agree. I think you made a good point when you said stay the course because I think that's a big one for a lot of people is they start to be like, well, do I just have to go insane? And I'm like, no, like these houses are still have a certain amount of value. Yes, they are increasing, but we don't need to just keep going higher and higher and higher for the same thing that you're going after. We need to keep in mind, like there are maintenance issues with this home. There are this, this, and this, and this. This is what this is worth. I understand his neighbor's house sold for this, but you need to like stay focused on that. And I think sometimes it means we end up having to go through a few more properties and bid a little bit more. But I think at the end of it, they're they're going to be in better shape, whether they're they're holding it for the long term or not. But I do also say, like you said, there's some clients that are like desperately want it, maybe because it's it's a non-replaceable property. Then you just need to make the decision, like how badly do you want this thing? Mm-hmm. And because then really, I wouldn't say price is irrelevant, but it kind of becomes that way because it's like there's certain factors that you can't put a value on because it's not as simple as saying, okay, it cost ten grand to do this. You can't replace a certain location, you can't yeah, replace 100%. a certain lot, yep. all these sorts of things. Um, but yeah, that, that's what it is. I, I, this summer where we had this huge pullback, uh, and I wouldn't say pullbacks, right? Slowdown due to, due to, I think, external factors. Uh, I was called, called all my buyers, all the ones that had gotten tired and kind of fed up with it. And I was like, let's go. Like now 100%. is the time. Here's an opportunity. Yep. You guys were tired of bidding against 25 people and going for ridiculous numbers. You won't have to do that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's kind of what I've been trying to do right now. Again, and I'm trying to recommend to a lot of buyers, I'm like, now is probably the time because I'm having so many asks that this is taking place. I think now is the time. I think I think the fall is going to come back. Uh, I think so, too. Crazy. Yeah. I think it's going to come back yeah. strong. The immigration is going to resume. You're already seeing You drive around. The Ontario plates are driving around. It's, people are going to be coming in. People are going to be going back to, to the day-to-day grind, and that's when they're shopping the homes. Mm-hmm. That's back on their mind. They're spending more time at that, in the house. It becomes more relevant to their day-to-day. So... Uh, right now, on, on a short term, I say buy. Even in general, though, I, again, I'm still a big a proponent of buy. I don't, I don't think buying, going crazy on every house is worthwhile. Uh, and yeah, I'm with you on the sense of if it's something that's like a replaceable product where there's a hundred of them on the ho- on the street, you gotta be you gotta be more cautious on what you're doing because you can get burned. But but would you say it's harder for an investor to get them right now? Yes, big yeah. time. As an investor, they they're struggling, um, and that's a, that's a weirder market. I find like. Yeah. It's almost like it's, in some levels it goes more crazy, like like duplexes and triplexes. Some I don't know, man. Insane. It's all over the map. But then some there have been some sitting. good deals on some small scale duplexes around, man. That's, good deals. That's I see a few. Ooh. I see some firm up, and I'm like, oh, three thirty five for that. It's a side by side duplex. I'm like, what in the world? Yeah. But then on the flip side, I see some that go for five fifty, and I'm like, 
Yeah, and, and and the challenge with a lot of duplexes is people are often looking at them as owner occupied situations. So they yeah. you know they will That's still value to them. pay things for like the location they want, the school district they want, or whatever thing. Yeah. Um, the one thing I try to tell investors is that you know first of all, are you in this for the long haul or the short haul? Well, I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah. Right. So the beauty about when you have real estate, and this is why so many times I say get in early, right? Because yeah. the beauty is when you have real estate. Like you and I right now are a little bit frustrated because maybe there aren't deals out there for us to buy. Yep. Would you agree about that? Yeah. However, <laughs> for the stuff we have. It's been great. It's been great. It's been great. Right? So when you're in the game, you know, when the highs are up, that means all of your free refinances are coming in, you know, super high. You've got massive equity. You know, you've got cash to play with. Yeah. Um, and you can even make the argument that if you take that out and you put it into the market, you know, maybe you're like, oh, I can't believe I'm having to pay 600 for this instead of 500. It's like, yeah, but your property is worth 800 instead of six over here. You just pulled out more money. So even if they level out in some way, you're kind of at parity because all you're doing is moving equity from one to another. Um, you know, so when things are good, you're good. And when things go down, right, if there is a slowdown, what do you do? You buy. Right? Like, so this is why owning real estate is the best thing going. Big and, and the earlier and the more that you can get, you know, it's like anything. As soon as COVID hit and there was like a brief recession, yeah. right? I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the gold rush of our generation. Uh, for people who have money right now, this is going to be, this is going to be the time. Look how many people like just made money in the stock market. Yeah. Right. Like just oil or something. Like if you, if you had cash. Yeah. Right. And you bought that at Lowe's. Um, I even joked with my friends. I'm like, man, I've always thought of buying a restaurant. This is the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like you probably have g- gone around and like bought a restaurant if you really wanted to. Like, and that's For terrible to say, but like, pennies. what's that investment? You know, when there's blood in the street, that's the time to invest. Yeah. Um, you know, but this is why. Yes, you may pay a premium for a property, but you know you're going to get in. You got to get in at some point uh, and then you'll ride these highs and lows. And at some times it'll just mean your property's worth more. And at other times it just means your buying power will be worth more. That's the same thing. What do you say to the people that say, when's when I buy and then this thing pops? Well, I think we've spent a lot of time discussing like why I I personally don't think there's going to be a pop of any significance um, that that could be damaging to someone. I I really don't. Like I, I think... Are we going to be sitting here with our tails between our legs in two years being like this whole thing just went to zero? Uh, I would like to no, scroll man. back we're, to we're episode just... question mark and re- re- retract <laughs> my previous comments. Yeah, man, I, I would love <laughs> I actually think, you know, this is going to – that this will be great to talk about. I think, again, some people have overpaid for their homes. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as they did so knowingly and well-informed, yeah. I don't see an issue with that. The vast majority of people, I think, paid, you know – top dollar in a hot market. Yeah. But I think the values are supported by a lot of other things in certain areas. Like areas are going to be affected differently, you know, depending on the home. But for the most part, I think the value is there in a lot of these things. And yes, it may be worth roughly the same in 24 months or 36 months, but that's not all that different from a lot of things we've seen. You know, we have recency bias, right? Anything yeah. that's happening right now is the most important thing and it's never happened before. Big time. This all happened before. Yep. Right. Uh, I don't think there's going to be like, oh my God, I'm down 15, 20%. Yeah. I just don't think that's there because then you get back into substitution. And like I just said, if the market goes down, what are people going to do? They're going to move here more again. 
right? Yep. And they're yep. going to buy more. And you and I are going to be out there buying more properties. Yep. Like I would I would love if things just dropped in price. <laughs> I would just buy up everything. Every investor would love that. Exactly. They're all so, shelf right now. So if all the investors and, and buyers, you know, uh, of scale, if if they don't seem concerned and they view that as an opportunity, they'll just buoy it right back up. But we do need to go return back to, you know, the consumer price index, like one to three. Like we need to, to go back to a steady level. What do you think the timeline is on becoming that steady level? Are you saying like? Um, I, I think I think we are at the height of the market like in terms of pricing. I really do. For, for, you for, 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 you like don't the, think it's going to continue to go from here? You think I, I don't. I think level? I think we're leveling off currently. I really do. I tend to disagree. Yeah. I, I mean, um, you know, I, I think there's going to be the fall rush, as there always is. Though yeah. that fall rush is not any different than the fall rush last year and the year before and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think these values based on, you know, square foot or, or whatever the product is, this is going to be our, our baseline that we're then going to put along from here from. I really do think that's – we're about there. Okay. Yeah. I, I think there's a bit more to go. I don't think, again, I don't think it's going to be 20, 30% on a year, year over year. I think it'd be more like a six to 8% year over year. Um, but again, based on like, I like how doing my stats and comparing. And so to what you said about kind of the immediacy thing where people only like, this is what we're living. This is the only time it's ever happened. This is what actually what's happening. Like I can't look at anything else. Uh, you look at going back to the population booms and, and kind of the generations, you go, you get your boomers and then you have your next gen, you have their kids now that are buying homes. That's a huge bubble. If you look at the population pyramid, mm-hmm. if, if you yeah. get the bubble of boomers, then you have the bubble uh, of their kids. And so now they're all in that growth. If you look back to late 70s, early 80s, and kind of through that, they had this exact same thing. How many, I, I know when I talk to some adults, they they will say, like, I remember I bought my first house for 50 grand, three years later I sold for a buck 80. Like, I've heard those stories a hundred times over. Yeah. And... We're now in that same thing yeah. 40 years later because now we're just the next gen down. Yep. And based on that, this has been a short window. Like we, I, I still see some room. Like there's still some some run-up years. I was actually sitting with a couple of bankers there yesterday and they said the same thing. I was sitting with them and they, I said, what do you think? Like I, I was like – because I was kind of hesitant. To, I'm like, should I be still? And they're like three years to go. And I, I tend hmm. to agree. I think – well, I mean, like if you go. if you look historically, anytime there's been a major pandemic or world crisis, it's been followed by incredibly, incredibly lucrative years, yeah. right? Um, but everything now happens so much quicker than things used to happen that, you know, I, I think we might be getting, like I said, I think we're getting a, a long period of go- growth condensed over a relatively short period. And it's funny because the way things are going, even if I'm like, yeah, I think it's only going to last like another six months. Like, well, gosh, in six months, it could be the six to 8%, right? Like, you know, in a weird way, like we're leveling off, but it's, it's, it's a concave or convex, whatever it is, it's curve. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, so, um, you know, I, I, I think that, like we said, it's, it's not sustainable, but, um, like the, the the growth rate, there's a difference between like the value and the rate of growth. I think the rate of growth isn't sustainable, but I think the value is. Okay. Yeah. What would you say as kind of a last point, what would you say to someone like, what's an indicator of like something you should be concerned about? Like when you start seeing this happen, like. Uh, when you stop your, seeing cranes all around town. Hold your wives, hold your kids, take your money, run the <laughs> heck out of here. No, I, I, I think, I think, um. You know, I love looking at the skyline and seeing cranes, right? Yeah. The more cranes are around town, stuff's going on. Yeah. Right? Money's coming in. People are coming in. Yeah. I would be concerned if you stop seeing that. If you want to get really literal, uh, in terms of like, um, 
you know, stats or data? Why? What do you have in mind? You obviously are. are this is a, a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to load you up here so I can. No, I, okay. uh, but I, well, but the reason I'm like kind of hesitant about that answer is because I look at our housing starts and they're not necessarily increasing by that much. And yeah. I don't think it's a, a, a factor of the developers not wanting to throw more cranes in the sky. I think yeah, there's there's ulterior yeah. items that are causing an impact on that. And I think that's getting even worse. And so I think you might see less cranes in the sky. And I don't think that's because we're having any more. We're just, oh, now all the housing is fixed. Uh, totally. Totally. That, that's a good so point. So that's, that's why I'm like, I don't know about that on that factor. But I don't know. I don't even know if I have, a, I have an answer to like, what should somebody be looking for? And I think when you start seeing the inventory climb steadily, maybe even almost rapidly, like that's. That's me. The one where, like, right now we're at what, like, two months of inventory. Oh God, yeah, that's always been the indicator. That's saying, like, once supply goes up again, yeah. you know, that that's going to be the indicator, right? Yeah. There's no question. I thought you were being more like nuanced little things that you look for. I yeah. mean, looking at migrations, huge. Yeah. Well, right? that's that's the other thing. So when you start seeing, I guess, yeah, I'm looking like the more down, like like the further down the line items. So yeah, like if I see, okay, the government now is starting to talk about pulling back the immigration items and things like those items. Yeah. Uh, there's new things going on in different places that aren't going to benefit here. That's when I would I would start to be okay, like th- there's something coming down the pipe. But I think as a whole, right now, our biggest push is is the mixture of the immigration uh, and then the the population boom. I think a lot. I think immigration is kind of an obvious one that everyone talks about. But I think a lot of people are overlooking the generational boom, and they're not, they're not factoring in that that's a big part of it. Because I see again, I I mean maybe it's a product of my age because I'm also one of them, and so are you. But a big portion of my clients are people that are just kind of getting in, mm-hmm. and the homes they're buying are typically people that are just getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like it's like it's we're in that turn that turn of generation. So yeah. Anyways, I guess yeah. I, I think I guess if the, yeah, when the supply starts to increase, that's that's gonna be an interesting one. But it could be also a massive if there's if there's things that start to impact the demand, which would be the government coming in and saying like we're shutting down the immigration uh, and those kind of items. Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And I think like you know, if we want to kind of close up on on a recap, I, I think we keep coming back to these same sentiments, regardless of what you're buying, is that you have to be well informed on what you're buying. And you need to think about exit strategies, right? Which, you know, um, comes back to like if you're an investor in this market, you need to be very knowledgeable in what you're purchasing. Um, And if there is a pullback, gosh, you know, I would want to make sure I had a good product that I'd purchased initially. Yeah. Right. Um, And it means like, hey, I always tell people not every investment property you buy is going to be a home run. Some are going to be singles and doubles. Right. Yeah. But the key is to accumulate best deal available at the time, right? So I've got clients who, you know, might have a property that, you know, my gosh, they crush it on that. And they look back like, oh man, wouldn't it be great to get another one of those? Like, yeah, you got those and you know, that's great, but let's not overlook this opportunity and that opportunity just because we're enamored with this place that was a home run. Yeah. Single, double, and then, hey, it's so funny how another home run comes along. Yeah. If you sideline just looking for home runs, it's hard to ever get in. Totally. Right. Like you gotta, you gotta have a combination. So right now, maybe this is a year where you're picking up singles and doubles. Right, but things have a way of ebbing and flowing, um, you know, and and maybe there's some home runs to be had when there is a little pullback, like we're having right now, a quiet time. Because I can tell you, I've got some clients who who hit what are going to look like home runs in 12 months yeah. during this little window right now. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, be well informed, have a clear perspective on what you want to do, your exit strategy, um, and and don't don't overanalyze, but I guess proceed with caution is is fair to say right now. Yeah. I tend to agree. I would second everything you said there. The biggest thing is get, kind of be well-informed. Make your decision based on what makes the most sense for you. you got to factor in whether you're staying or you're leaving. 
I think next time we should talk about cap rates because okay. you've kind of we've thrown that out there yep. a few times because really this this we talked a lot about a single family home style uh, and I think cap rate plays a lot on the investor side yeah um, especially maybe on the bigger bigger investments but even even on the small scale pretty much once you hit three four units you can almost start taking it into account honestly I think so yeah yeah so and I know you like to math I like to math so math class with Neil next time <laughs> professor right on all right okay wrap it up yeah all right good to see you as always buddy oh big applause